Hello, it's good to see everybody today. I see that you're doing well. As you're finding a seat, I want to remind you that next Sunday is a good Sunday. And it is called Time Change Sunday. And we're going to spring forward and uh, change our clocks. You're going to fall forward, if that's possible. But the good thing is that every year you, you might lose an hour of sleep, but the good news is you gain an hour of sunlight. And I don't know about you, but I like to uh, go out a little bit later in, outside instead of feeling like, you know, it gets dark about 530. It'll get dark as late as almost 830 and a little later after sundown. So that starts next Sunday and uh, you'll have to get up a little bit earlier. And I know that that's not that big a sacrifice for you. Uh, we've had a great week. And again, some of you uh, know that uh, Bruno and Mavi had twins. And I, we had prayed for Maximilian. He's, he's uh, just getting over some things. But uh, the, the two babies are doing well. And uh, I, I'm telling you, I, I was so proud. And you, you know, there, if you are a father, you know how it feels when you look into the eyes of your newborn. And uh, I was there when Bruno, just a few minutes after the, the birth, they called us in. And and uh, let me tell you, you know, Bruno's kind of a melancholy, which he's got all his, they say, ducks in a row and everything's right and organized. He was a mess. And so he was so excited and he was he was giddy, you know, at times. And he's, did you see him? Did you see her? Did you see him? Yes, Bruno, I saw both. And, and there's nothing like the love of a father and mother, their newborns. And uh, some of you uh, know having your first, how just, you know, you could say difficult because it's new. It, it's a new experience. Um and depending on the range of difficulty is different things, but can you just stop and imagine two at one time? So if you can, uh, I know that we are uh, supporting coming around Bruno and Mavi and uh, mother and sister are here and, and Lasita today. And uh, we're glad that they're here. We love Brazil. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, we're excited. You know, uh, Bruno Mavi had twins, and I don't know if you've heard, but I'll announce it again, that Daniel and Giselle are also expecting. So we have, we have the Brazil connection, i tell you what. This morning, uh, let's open in prayer. You know, today, I'm going to be preaching and continuing on the series 90. As we're getting closer and closer to Easter, this is the first Sunday of March, and this year Easter's April the 12th, and sometimes as we're going through this and a journey in the, the life of Jesus from the moment that he uh, came as the sacrifice, not only to, but for the world, and, and as he was presented to mankind, all the way through to the crucifixion, and then on Easter, the resurrection Sunday morning, and as we're going through this process, I, I've been praying that our church again, with fresh eyes, would be able to see this whole journey that Jesus did for you and I. And, and some of the, the things that happened that sometimes that we that have been in the church for maybe 
let's say for uh, even a few years, you begin to hear the things and you begin to kind of forecast or predict, I've already heard that. Well, I'm going to tell you something today that maybe you haven't heard and some people might say, yeah, I, I knew that. But again, it's important for us to be reminded and then say, God, I, I just wish you'd open my heart so that I could see again with fresh eyes and again appreciate all the things that you've done for me and my family, my life. And so let's pray. This morning, God, as we get into your word, I, I pray that we would be able to just sit back and enjoy the journey of what you did for us. And Father, as we're here and, and we're just together as a family, Father, we're discussing the Word of God and what it means to us. We see what you did voluntarily, that you came and died for us. And God, you changed mankind with something new. And Father, we thank you for that, for sending your Son. In your name we pray. Amen. When you have been in church a while, if you're not careful, you begin to love your religion kind of sometimes more than you love people. And sometimes you'll experience a sense of loving the the plan, the religious, that the actions, that the behaviors, and, and you almost get to the point if you're not careful that you begin to value them more than you should, more than more than people themselves. And maybe you've been in a place in your life that you've seen people that are good people. And they're, you know, they've gone to church, but but they get so consumed with the, the religious part of it, they, they begin to ostracize or they begin to say, you know, that person just is, and they become hateful. They may maybe even become ugly. This this morning, in this part of the journey, what I found out through my life is hurting people will hurt people. And even if they're going to church, even if they're religious people, they, they, they take the point of God saying, you know, I've come because I love mankind. But they'll take that the, that the law is greater than the grace. And if we're not careful and if we're not continually reminded of how much God loved us in order for us to experience grace, all of us, that we begin to gravitate to the law. And today as we continue in the series 90, that we, we talked about that Jesus came to, to fulfill the law. He, he came not to abolish it, but He came to fulfill it. He came to give a new covenant, a new command, a new movement that would spread throughout the world and throughout history. And is still the largest, you could say, religion in the world. The, the, the whole thought of this group of really just ragtag people that came together and talk about a grassroots beginning and, and people of all kinds of social dynamics and and all kinds of personalities, and they didn't have an army, and really they didn't have a territory, but all of a sudden they began to come together and, and they changed the world. Well, we've talked about that. And Jesus came to say, you know, if, if it was an assignment, I, I came to, to fulfill it. He was coming to complete it. If it was a math problem, He came to solve it. 
If it was a plane, he came to land it. And when he came, he said this. It says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the teachers of the law. And, and here's the question that we're going to talk about today. And a lot of times it's a question that we have to ask ourselves and answer it. Did he have enough authority, even though that they saw him as somebody having authority even more than their teachers? They had to come to the answer, yes or no. Did he have more authority? Did he have the enough authority to change everything the way that they had saw it to that point? Different than what they had heard through Moses. And, and things that Solomon even put in place in the temple and all these things now were beginning to change and Jesus was speaking something different. They had to answer, does he have enough authority to do that? Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, the, the Pharisees were always looking for a place to catch him, to question his authority. And it says this, at the same at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said, look, hey, look, everybody take a picture. You know, oh, we don't have a camera. Someone's sketch. Oh, we don't do that yet. Record it right here. Look at him. It says, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And Jesus in Mark chapter 2 verse 27 says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Did you hear that? Listen to it again. In Mark chapter 2 verse 27, Jesus says, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, see, some people think that God loves the law more than people. And they prioritize the law over people. The, the essence of legalism. Somehow people don't get legalism prioritizes a view over a you. I've heard of pretty horrible things in churches how somebody would actually run somebody off because of their divorced mother or their gay brother. And if you know the Word of God throughout the law, you realize that, that any time that somebody used the law and dishonored a person that, that God had came and created in the image of God, He was quick to say, you're on the wrong side of who God is. And, and, you know, all this thing that was going on, does he have the authority to do that, to pick grain on the Sabbath? And, and here's the, not, not only the, the man of God, but the son of God that actually has the spoken word. And all of a sudden these people are going, now who is he? And something totally different. And we lose grasp of how amazing this was. Because now thousands of years later, we read it with different view, a different eye. And we begin to not, we don't know the culture unless some speakers brought it out in a sermon. But the point that we talked about last week, I just want to touch on this today. And, and Jesus, in all this thought of who is he and does he have authority, he kind of smiles and he says, let me tell you, someone greater than the temple is here among you today. 
Now, when you hear that, and I hear that in, in today, in Fort Worth, Texas, we go, well, of course he was. Everybody knows that. But I want you to go back in time and right where the history of this takes place. Are you saying that you're greater than the temple? Jesus. See, to compare yourself with the temple in, in this time, in this culture, is saying, well, you're ignorant. Right? The worst, you're arrogant or you're insane. You don't get it because a threat against the temple is really a threat against our nation. It's a threat against God Himself and you are not greater than the temple. They, they just got irate. This was something that was sacred. It was real estate that had been set all the way back into the beginning of, of Solomon and David when they built the temple and, and God's presence was there in the Ark of the Covenant and everything was going well and they could always go back to that time. But here today, this place is sacred. So let me give you a little history to kind of give you an understanding again in our journey of where Jesus is. Seven years after Jesus said this, it was A.D. 40. This is... This is uh, later after Jesus is gone, seven years, the emperor Caligula, say his name Heath? Caligula. I've said it a hundred times, but I can't say it today. He's an insane emperor of Rome. He's so insane that he realizes how sacred the temple is to the Jewish people. So he gets a legion of men and there's a man named Petroius that is the governor of Syria at the time and he is given the job with two legions of Roman soldiers somewhere around 10,000 men to land on the coast of Israel and take a statue of himself and transport it all the way to the Temple Mount where he was going to install it. They said when they got the statue off of the ship and they got the procession going to go to Jerusalem to install this statue, that literally hundreds of people showed up, and instead of force, when they were, you know, confronted with the legions of soldiers, instead of fighting, they bent over and offered their necks as sacrifice. They said, kill us. What you're doing with this statue is sacrilegious. You cannot do it. You cannot put that thing here. They, they pushed through the crowd and made their procession all the way up to Tiberias. And when they got to Tiberias, they said that they, they were also confronted by literally thousands of Jewish people that were saying the same thing. You're going to have to kill us to get us uh, get that statue to the temple. People like farmers were going on strike and the economy was in uh, a stranglehold. And... and this governor, Petronius, didn't know what to do. So here's, listen to what Josephus, Josephus the, the historian, said. So they threw themselves down upon their faces and stretched out their throats and said they were ready to be slain and they did this for 40 days and 40 nights. Petronius knew that it was his life if he could not complete the task. So he sent a letter to the Roman Emperor Caligula to say, what do I need to do? And almost as a state of faith, 
as the letter was in the process of getting to Rome, the Senate and the Praetorian Guard, which is the guard, personal guard of the emperor, conspired together and killed the emperor, Caligula. Which the statue never met or never reached its destination, the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But I tell you this story because of how sacred this location was to the people. This was something so valuable that they would lay down their lives. Now again, put yourself in this part of history. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Again, greater than the temple? If you know your history, the temple was built by Solomon. And people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to see the temple. But around 586 BC, the Persian or the Babylonians, you know, came in and destroyed after laying siege to Jerusalem for months. They killed the king. They took the Fab Four with them Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego back to Babylon. They stayed in Babylon for about 70 years until a new king. The Persians overcame the Babylonians. And a king named Cyrus, which was not a believer in God, but he was used of God. And the people of God, the Israelites, could go back home. They built, he allowed them to build a temple, but it was not a, a, a temple that it looked like the former temple. It was kind of an eco, economo kind of temple. Just, I want you to be okay with yourself, but not too good. I don't want you to build too big a temple. And he allowed them to build a smaller temple. The Bible even says that during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, as they're watching this, some people, as they dedicated this new little temple, they, they cried it and they wept because of the former greatness of Solomon's temple. But then 22 years before Jesus... There was a king that came into power. He was a vassal. He was a puppet king of Rome. And history tells us his name was Herod. And they even titled him, if he didn't title himself, Herod the Great. And Herod the Great restored the temple back to its former glory. This is kind of a rendering of what it could look like. It was around 36 to 37 acres on the top of the mountain of Jerusalem. History tells us that some of the stones, listen to this, were 11 feet by 44 feet by 16 feet tall. They were, some of them were 500 tons cut stone. He built it this way because Jerusalem was prone to earthquakes and disasters like that, but this was a place that couldn't even be shaken by an earthquake. It was so big and so powerful. Again, people from all over the world knew Jerusalem and knew Israel because of their temple and because of their God and who they believed in. This was a sacred part. This was something that was unnegotiable. Even though we might be a puppet nation to Rome, that somebody that rules us, you will not touch our temple. In Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through 4, it says, that one day one of his disciples came to Jesus and look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent building. You see these great buildings, Jesus replied. Listen to this. 
In verse 2, Jesus says, Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now that in the Greek, that's actually what it means. Actually in English, it's not that they're going to fall down, but actually that they will be thrown down into the valley below. This was something that was so crazy to the listener that they thought there is no way possible that that could happen. There is not a power on the face of the earth strong enough except the Roman government and the Roman army. And there's no way that they're going to do that because we are a puppet nation under them. So they began to contemplate. They began to get mad. How in the world could this ever happen? Again, look at the picture. As Jesus is sitting on the temple mount opposite of the temple. And he begins to see this. It's a panoramic view. And he says to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. They, they come along later and they go, hey, hey, what about that temple thing? You know, kind of give us the backstory on that. Tell us when that's going to happen. And Jesus begins to explain when an army encircles a city is a time that's going to be of great sadness. Pray that your wives are not pregnant during that time. Pray that there's, that there's going to be a relief of the pain that's going to be suffered because it's, it's a dark day. Forty years later, after a group of gangs that continually would war against Rome and cause crime, that they, they celebrated one victory over a Roman legion and they thought that now they could overthrow Rome. They began to rise up against the empire and, and, and cause grief. And just because of all the antagonizing little fights and stuff, the Roman government sent the 10th legion, one of the most powerful legions in the history of Rome. And they began to war against these younger men, even though that the citizens knew that it was going to be a disaster. The young men thought, this is our time. We're going to rise up against Rome. And the history tells us as, as Rome began their campaign and they began to, to, to squeeze the, the Jewish people, that they ended up at the capital in Jerusalem. And they, they came, all of the rebels went in to this area of Jerusalem. And they were surrounded by the great walls that had uh, defended off attackers. Really, Rome had never attacked Israel. Really, Rome just came into Israel and Israel gave themselves to Rome initially. So this was really the first time Rome came against Jerusalem. Well, the Jews thought, we'll just run into Jerusalem, which has held off attackers for years and all through, as we know in the stories of the Old Testament. And it's amazing. As the days followed, the Romans would breach the first wall. And it just so happened that a festival fell during that time. And, and, and again, as I was studying this, that, that the pilgrims came to Jerusalem even during the siege, the beginning of the siege. And the emperor uh, was uh, Fabian or Fabius that, that replaced uh, his father. Now, now 
sits in power and he sends word to his son Titus, let him in. So all these pilgrims that have come, even though the siege has taken place to celebrate, they, they let them into the city. And he says, once they're in, all the pilgrims close the door. Knowing that their food supply will go out faster with all the people now in the city. So now the siege is in full blast. And Josephus, the historian, tells us they fought the Romans by day and they fought themselves by night. They were so convinced that they were going to overthrow the Roman government that they began to fight among themselves who was going to be the new king. Even during one of the inner struggles during the nighttime, that the, the grain supply caught on fire. The days ahead, history kind of has a little bit of a conflict, but what we know is that the Roman army finally breached the second wall of Jerusalem walls, the, the walls around Jerusalem. And for the next weeks, they killed about everything that they could and everything that they could not sell into slavery. Some people believe that the, the slaves that came from Jerusalem actually constructed the Colosseum and the, the precious sacred things of the temple helped pay for the Colosseum. You hear the words again in Mark chapter 13, verse 2. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Later in history, about 700 A.D., the Muslims would come in and they would conquer the country and they built the Dome of the Rock right in the middle of the Temple Mount where the temple was. Later, the Crusaders would come in and turn it into a church. But then later, the king of the Muslims, Sali, I believe it was his name. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Kingdom of Heaven on Earth. They came back, the Muslims, and built a church. But if you go there today, you can see those stones. Go back to that picture. And actually the Roman army would take the, the stones of the temple that Herod had built. The people said was magnificent. And they took those stones that made that temple and they pushed them down in the valley that not one of them was upon the other. Just to make a statement to the world this is what happens when you rebel against the Roman Empire. Now, here's why I tell you that history. Because here's Jesus and he says, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. He even told his disciples about the army that would come around Jerusalem. And if you know church history, and if you don't, let me just tell you. All through the Bible, the, the disciples and the writers would make comments. And so what was said came about. You read that, right? You, you see that they're being an edit, you know, they're being the uh, editor. They're kind of editorializing the, the, the passages of Scripture. This is what said and it came about. 
But if you know about this, the early church, the forefathers, the, the beginning after all the disciples had died off, all the first generation had died off, the next generation, the church fathers, were quick to write and to promote. See? Hello? Can you not see what Jesus predicted actually came about? There, there's a lot of people that believe that the, the people that wrote the Bible, the, the Gospels and you know Paul, that they actually weren't the people that actually were there. They, this happened years and years later. But here's why that is not true. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but it was fascinating. And, and I wanted to include it on this journey. When the Gospel of Mark was written, the reason why Mark and Matthew and Luke does not say Jesus said this was going to happen where all the stones were going to be thrown down. And so it was. They leave that out. And the reason why is because the temple was still standing when they wrote their Gospels. And they still put that in the Word of God that Jesus said it was going to happen. Now, you and I that are believers have already come to that point of saying, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. There might be someone here that says, you know what, I'm kind of confused of what I've heard in the past and with other people in my life. But you're telling me, Pastor, it happened just as he said it would. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. It happened exactly. And let me tell you, that's irrefutable evidence that what Jesus said came to pass, that He is somebody that you can follow and to, be, to, to understand that He is who He says He is. That He came not to just do something other than the Old Testament, but He came to do something new. Something that was going to be universal for the whole world, not just the Jewish people. That he was going to do something that was going to be portable instead of a temple that was in a fixed location as sacred. Twenty years later, there's a man that shows up on the scene and his name is the Apostle Paul. And he's starting churches all over the known world at that time. And, and one of the churches is in the city of Corinth. And the people of Corinth have a lot of Greek uh, background and, and, and they're, they're familiar with temples themselves and their gods. That some people think that the Romans actually adopted after the Greeks. And, and Paul said something that is so important for you and me that was something so revolutionary for them that they don't, what are you talking about? And it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And he says this, Do you not know? In other words, you guys got to know this. That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. See, the, the significance of that is lost on us because we, we, we've been born in a different time. But for them... They're, they're saying, you mean what was so magnificent that was the only place that we should worship, that God's presence? You're saying, Paul, now 
the Holy Spirit resides in us, we're the temple. And you and I would say, yes. This morning, I want to take it a step further. And here's something that a lot of times that we forget as believers. That when Jesus came, sacred has been commuted. There's no more sacred sites, objects, geography. But sacred is individuals. You're you're sitting beside sacred. You're married to sacred. You're raising at your house sacred. It, it, it's that the whole seeds were sown at that time for the, the end of slavery. The price had been paid. And the price for every person, I mean, not just man, but for women, which was unheard of before this time. And this morning, as we're in this journey, and, and we're at this part of the story to realize that here's people that are listening for the for the first time and they're they're hearing and and are you really and you and I have to come to grips with you're sacred because of what Jesus did for you pastor I, I don't I don't know if I'm comfortable with that and I, I don't know if I can get my mind around that that It's the same thing that these people had to do. To come to grips with what Jesus said, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. At that time, the temple came down. And all the temples around the Roman Empire would fall down. And their precious stones and all the building materials that were put into the pagan gods of the Greeks and the Romans would be repurposed. On the day that the Roman army of the Ten Legion pushed down all of those stones and took the the Jews into slavery was the day that the traditional form of Judaism ended. And what was called the rabbinical religious system of Judaism started where they had rabbis. It was a whole different way of doing religion this morning here's what you have to be reminded that his invitation to those people are the same invitation to you and I do you believe that I'm greater than the temple do you believe that you're sacred do you believe that I died so that my Holy Spirit not can reside in some building somewhere but resides in you personally That when you have a problem in your life and you go, man, I wish God could tell. You don't have to run to a priest or a pastor or even a rabbi. That the Holy Spirit resides in you. And let me tell you this morning at the conclusion of this message, something that you don't need to forget. 
The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, when, when he began to understand how the early church was getting on fire for God, he said, you know what? Ever since I've heard that, I began to pray. And here's what I'm praying for you. That God, that they would get the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. That God, that they would get that revelation to know you better so that they might know that the power that resides in them is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit lives within me. That's what makes us different. Not because we eat a certain kind of food or we... You know, sing a few songs that are different than what you hear maybe in a secular radio station. Not that stuff. But you're sacred because you're the temple of God. Pray with me today. Father, today, God, this message again reminds us how you desire to be with us. That you're not a God that stays away and, and, and maybe... It seems to lord over your people, but God, you are a God that wants to be among us, to be inside of us, to give us hope and a future. The God that you're a God that has come to give us life to the full, abundant to the overflow. The God that the things that we see on a daily basis brings encouragement, not only to us, but the people that are around us. The God that we know that we have a future that every time that we speak that our words go into the future and God that the, your word never comes back void. It always comes back what it was meant to do to bring life and encouragement strength. And Father we thank you for that. Thank you for your life in those days that you gave us here on earth. And Father our future that you've given us for eternity. We thank you for that. Amen. Amen.